This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking financial planning. More specifically, we're talking about the importance of sharing financial information and having healthy dialogue about money across multiple generations within a family. We've all heard the statistics and read the articles about the pro athlete or entertainer who lived a life of luxury for years, spent money freely, gave it away, didn't respect and appreciate it. And then one day they were no longer at the height of their fame and success. The dollar stopped coming in and they were flat broke. And we all wonder from the outside, how could this be possible? How could they not have anything left? However, what doesn't get reported on nearly as much is the phenomenon of wealthy families who lose their fortune across just one or two generations. This happens more than one might think, about 70% of the time, in fact. And while many of us never wake up expecting to have the same level of sophistication to our money troubles as someone named Bezos or Walton or Vanderbilt, maybe... Many of the same key warnings and advice can apply just as easily to non-billionaire families. And although this is an area where I happen to know a thing or two and have seen how family dynamics tend to influence the longer term success of money transfers between generations, I am by no means an expert. And so I decided to call up someone who is. Amy Castoro serves as the president and CEO of the Williams Group, a coaching and consulting firm that focuses on preparing families for the smooth transfer of wealth among generations. And in addition to her work at the Williams Group, Amy is an accomplished author and speaker who regularly shares her experience on topics such as bridging generations and career and family, to name a few. So with that brief introduction, welcome Amy Castoro to the Tech Money Podcast. Thank you, Malcolm. It's great to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you making the time to do this. And to get us kicked off here, I breezed through your resume pretty quickly in my intro. What else should I have should I have included? The main reason we get to do this work is so that we can help these affluent families have their wealth be a force for good in the world. When families break apart, their wealth isn't able to have the impact in the world that maybe the original creator hoped it would have. So the only other thing I would add is that when these great families stay together, the world can be a better place. 
That is a very interesting and positive take on this whole uh, scenario <laughs> and this whole conversation we're about to have, especially at a time when people who amass pretty significant fortunes, uh, for better or for worse, I'm not taking a stance here, but they're, they've been pretty vilified in the last two, three, five years in the media and popular culture and everywhere else. And so for you to have the take that by amassing that fortune, it allows them to have a positive impact on the world, assuming they're, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Assuming they're charitably inclined, uh, is a totally different way to look at it that, that I hadn't come into this conversation thinking about. So thank you for that. So to get us, get us started, talk to me about the Williams group. How do you actually explain the work that you do whenever you're, I don't know, at a cocktail party and someone asks you what you do for a living? It's a great question, and I get it all the time. The best way I can explain it is that we help families stay together when mm -hmm. wealth transitions from one generation to the next. So very often families will already have a certain pattern of communication that they all grew up within. Mm -hmm. uh, very often mom and dad inherited the communication practices from their mom and dad. And so when it comes to this topic of money, families don't really know how to have the conversation, so they tend not to have it. Hmm. Then what happens over time is that little bump in the carpet gets bigger and bigger and bigger until somebody trips over it and they land in litigation. Hmm. So what we do is we help families have those challenging conversations so that their wealth can be a force for good in their families and in the in the world. And what types of families are you guys doing this coaching and con consulting work with? Like, I, I know we use the term in our industry, ultra high net worth a bit loosely uh, to define basically anybody who's got a net worth north of, say, $25 million or so. But is it more specific than that for you guys? That's right around the ballpark. So what we find is somewhere around 20 million, there tends to be more liquid cash mm -hmm. and more complexity in the estate plan itself. So that just over time has really become our threshold where families are willing to make the investment in time and resources and really emotional fortitude to step into some of these conversations. Yeah. And I can attest from my own personal experience, the, the, I don't know, decade plus or whatever that I've been doing this work. Those types of concerns exist for parents with far fewer assets than that. For a couple with, you know, maybe a couple million dollars in investable assets and then maybe a couple of homes, they too are deathly afraid of their kids inheriting that much money at once and not knowing what to do with it. Right. Uh, however, when I bring up the idea of involving their adult kids in our next planning meeting, just to, you know, begin the conversation, I'm almost always met with blank stares and crickets. Yeah, we find that very often that what the advisors do extremely well is prepare the assets for the family. They've talked about preservation. They've talked about modifying the taxes so that they don't have to pay more than they should. There's always a point where the advisor has to say, now that we've prepared the assets for the family, how mm -hmm. do we start preparing the family for the assets? And hmm. that's the doorway into the conversation. You have to first pivot their thinking. Yeah, one of the things I find super unique about your firm and your approach is that focus on uh, not really the assets themselves or the tax implications of a decision, 
or even the appropriate titling of a trust document or something, right? Like you were alluding to, that's traditionally where we as financial practitioners tend to focus all of our efforts, but you guys focused almost solely on the family and helping to ensure that family dynamics remain intact once money flows from one generation to the next. Why is that the outcome that you've decided to focus so much on? Conflict is expensive. <laughs> Family conflict <laughs> tends to be circular True indeed. And, and sustained by the same patterns of behavior. There's so many sayings in the world. One is shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves mm-hmm. in two gener- or three generations. In Italy, they say from the stalls to the stars to the stalls again. Uh, in Denmark, yeah. it's clogs to clogs. In Japan, it's teacup to teacup. So there's this global phenomena out there that says the wealth won't continue to transition. And we really wanted to know why that is. And when we look at the newspapers and we look at web um, podcasts, we start to see that, oh, the common denominator here is relationships. Hmm. So, when a relationship is stressed and then there's a triggering event, call it uh, mom and dad want to retire or somebody Mm -hmm. passes away or the business is no longer as viable as it used to be, that will destabilize the family relationships, which then puts the wealth at risk. And so I I was doing some some reading online in preparation for this episode, and I came across somewhere where you said that wealth transfers tend to be unsuccessful whenever there's either a trust breakdown or a lack of preparedness. And I think that kind of gets to what you were just laying out there. But can you explain specifically what you mean by that? For sure. So Roy Williams, the guy who founded our business, came out of the NFL. He played for the San Francisco 49ers. And when he looked around, he saw that a lot of his peers, like you said in your opening statements, were losing their wealth. But what broke his heart was he could see they were also losing their families. He set out to do a 20-year field study where he interviewed the families of wealthy individuals and said, what what is a successful wealth transfer? Mm -hmm. And they define successful as the family stays intact and they maintain control of their assets. So when he looked at the main reasons for an unsuccessful transfer, he found that 60% of the time, the breakdown was trust and communication. They Hmm. weren't talking about the wealth. The next generation didn't trust that mom and dad were going to transition this well so that their siblings would still be wanting to come to Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner. Um, Other... I was going to say, say more about that for a second, because we usually come at this from the perspective of the person or the people who have the assets to transfer in the first place, right? We never really think about it from the perspective of the people or the person who is in, in place and in line to receive, mm-hmm. inherit that, that transfer. Yeah. And you just yeah. said something that jumped out to me, which was that the kids or the grandkids right. or whomever don't necessarily trust the parents back in the other direction. And that jumps out to me. Can you say more about that? Yeah. What happens is the next generation is jockeying for position. Mm-hmm. They don't know what it means to be an executor or their their brother is the executor and all that person ever did was cheat in Monopoly when they were growing up. <laughs> 
right? So that might not be the responsible person to put in the executor role, but mom and dad have the responsibility of picking who that's going to be. There are really vital conversations that mom and dad need to start having, like what is the estate plan? Not necessarily how much everyone is going to get or even when, that's a different conversation, but For a conversation sure. about here's the big picture. This is what we'd like to have happen. Yep. And it's the kids know that the mom and dad aren't sure how to have that conversation, so it doesn't happen. And that's what they start to distrust. That's the part that I find myself trying so hard to, to twist arms and change attitudes a little bit when it comes to talking to clients is the idea of we don't have to tell them everything. But we do need to tell them something, right? Because you did all the work, you did all the right things, you saved, you 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 uh, uh, ignored the uh, impulses to buy the bigger home or the nicer, newer car or all the other stuff that that you put your blinders on and you saved diligently, and that's why we're having the conversation we're having in the first place. But then that last piece is the messaging that needs to go along with it, right? If you don't have the conversation about what the expectation is for the asset once it transfers, then all of that hard work is for naught because the very first thing they're going to do is have a conversation with either a professional who does this for a living, look online, or they already know from from common knowledge that I just stepped into my parents' basis, which means that if I just sell the asset immediately, I don't even have to worry about the IRS. Why wouldn't I do it now? And boom, there goes your whole plan that you thought was the greatest plan ever. You paid somebody thousands of dollars to construct and within two weeks time, it's completely undone. And so that's the part that I I always get stuck trying to to convey. But again, I, I just get the crickets. Well, another way to tell that story is to tell live stories or real stories that are happening in the world. You don't have Mm -hmm. to look very far to find one. We had a situation where there was a son in his 20s. um, His mom and dad passed away suddenly, and he goes into the attorney's office. He finds out he's now responsible for an entire city block of apartment buildings. So his net worth went from a college student way of living to now a multi-multi-millionaire. Within about eight months, he had had a massive decline in the whole portfolio. He was not sure how to live his life because now his friends, he didn't know how to relate to his friends. He didn't really have a purpose for why he was even going to school or getting out of bed in the morning. So it's truly unfair to the next generation for mom and dad to not be including them in some of these conversations. The question we always get is how do we start the conversation, Mm -hmm. right? So the research showed us that 60% of the breakdown is trust and communication. What we've just been speaking about is how do we prepare the next generation? That Mm -hmm. represented 25% of the reason why estate plans were not successful. We have 10 questions that are a great way for mom and dad to start having some of these conversations and to really start asking themselves. Um, one of those questions would be, God, next generation, how do you see this wealth impacting your lives? Mm-hmm. That now you're starting to get their expectation. Another conversation could be, here's what we see the purpose of this wealth is. What do you see it is? 
Another hmm. conversation could be, in this family, we expect everybody to be a contribution to the wealth. What does it look like for you to contribute? And that could be, they start looking at philanthropy. They start adding to their own savings accounts or bank accounts. They start, uh, they'll put together a proposal for how they can start a new business and generate yeah. more revenue. So for sometimes in families, we hear them, the next generation say, we'd love to learn about impact investing. Mm -hmm. And there, and there the advisor sits in the middle of all of those conversations. But to that end, is there such a thing as the right amount of information to share with your your young adults or even teens about where the family stands overall from a financial perspective? Like, I'm imagining there has to be a middle ground somewhere that we don't want to go on either side of. Do you know, I think that there's a, a somewhere around 27, 30 years old, hmm. depending on how much. It's not usually a number. Okay. Right? That's where the trusts are sometimes get it wrong. They'll say when you hit 30, when you hit 40. The challenge with that is we don't have a shared understanding of what it means to be a prepared heir. Mm. So if prepared means they're able to hold a full-time job, prepared yep. means they're able to save X percent, prepared means they're able to contribute in some meaningful way, um, prepared means they have a plan on why they're going to school. Then maybe then we can start talking about, well, here's how you read a portfolio statement and here's why it matters to you. The danger we see is a lot of families are trying to answer the question, how much do we give them and when? And that's really the wrong question. Those numbers will change over time. We saw a pandemic really change people's portfolios. The right question is, who are you becoming inside of this family of wealth? And how do you see it impacting your life? We want to really focus on the individual, not so much the assets. In the families we've worked with that have had great fortunes and lost great fortunes, the ones that have a clear sense of values, the ones that have a clear sense of who they are in the world, what's important to them, how they do business in the world, those are the ones that can rebuild that wealth. They then have the the symbolic capital of their name, but they also have really powerful networks because of their identity in the community. We just did some work with a family where they were very young kids. They were six, nine, and 12. By the end of the process, each of these kids had a really clear idea of how the rest of the family sees who they are. And they also had a clear idea of how they could start contributing. For example, the six-year-old was really concerned about a show she had seen where the sea turtles were really suffering. And so she said, I want to start looking at how can we create a hospital for the sea turtles, otherwise known as a rehabilitation center. So now they direct monies to that and they can, as a family, look and see what kind of impact that's having. The moral of the story here is that these conversations are not about how much and when. They're really about how are we communicating the family values through our actions and our conversations around the dinner table with children as young as two years old. 
Well, so that's that that's interesting to me because we as practitioners, meaning financial planners and others alike, we tend to focus almost solely on things like beneficiary designations and trust documents and life insurance policies, those technical sorts of building blocks of a wealth transfer that we started off talking about. Right. But not so much the familial dynamics of a wealth transfer. And we we identified as you and I first started this talking about the fact that it doesn't really happen. But why do you think that is? I think it's outside the advisor's comfort zone. Hmm. When they really start to see that their role is to take care of the family holistically, mm-hmm. they find that they have more joy in their work. Some advisors go into the world of financial planning because it is black and white. Numbers mm-hmm. don't necessarily cause an argument. They, there, there isn't a lot of interaction necessarily. But what the opportunity here for advisors is that when they can start to open the door to family relationships and wealth's impact on those relationships, they mm-hmm. can gain more access to the next generation. They can say to the matriarch and the patriarch, hey, I'd love to hear how your kids are doing. Would it be possible for me to sit down and have a quick conversation with them about their understanding of finances, of money, of the role it plays in their lives? I suggest that it's the advisor's responsibility in the offer you make to protect the family's assets to talk about the family and they can you can present it that way because if honestly the family falls apart they lose control of the assets they get distributed in many different places obviously not excluding the silk pockets of estate attorneys so i suggest that the reason advisors aren't willing to go there is they're not sure what kind of rabbit hole they're jumping in and so if they can say things like Uh, How do you intend to make sure your family values are transferred? What are those values? What is the purpose of this wealth? And do you think everybody else in the family has the same perspective? On a scale of 1 to 10, how comfortable are you talking about money with your family? And what needs to happen to move that number up the scale? So starting to get curious about these things doesn't mean you're going to solve it. It may mean you introduce somebody else like you would introduce an estate attorney or a CPA that can be the training wheels for some of these important conversations. Yeah, the, 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 the focus for me in doing this work with the clients that we serve is really just making sure that we at least make them aware of the fact mm-hmm. that um, by doing nothing, you are doing something, right? It, yeah. it's one of the yeah. the other the, one of the main challenges as practitioners is helping to walk clients away from the riskier stuff that's in vogue for now, and they're excited mm-hmm. about, right? Like I, I had right. two years of smacking down Bitcoin questions from from clients who just had no yeah. business wanting to be invested in it, right? Yeah. But right. when, uh, as far as their kids are concerned, when somebody's gotten their hands on a significant sum of money, they didn't have to work much for. They don't respect it the same way as if they did, right? And had to save over multiple, multiple decades, and then suddenly, as a you know licensed and experienced financial planner. I'm having to compete for that heir's attention with some, you know, clown who's made a few TikTok or YouTube videos wearing a Spider-Man costume. And I don't even know, like, that beginning a dialogue with the child sooner 
would make all of that much of a difference in, in, in that particular scenario. Right. And so I think that's part of what makes it so challenging as the practitioner to say, this is something I've got to do. And I, I just have to at least open up the door and introduce the conversation. So I take your point that one of the ways to get there sooner may be bringing in somebody else from, from the outside who has a completely unbiased perspective and has a completely different uh, stance than even the financial planner who the family's been trusting forever to manage assets and, and help them make smart money decisions. Exactly. And we don't manage assets for that reason. Right. Because we want to keep a distance between the family relationship conversation and the financial conversation. Because when they get intertwined, it can get tricky uh, for us to, to be able to have the level of trust we need in these conversations. One of my favorite stories is that two boys uh, grew up inside of a house where their grandfather had created penny stocks. That group of penny stocks transferred to dad, and then mom and dad passed away, and that transferred to the two boys. The boys had different interpretations about the use and purpose of that money. The family never had a conversation about it. One of the brothers said, hey, we've got kids, we've got mortgages, we could pay it all off and send the kids to great schools without any debt. The other brother said, whoa, 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 this is legacy money. We're supposed to pass this on to the next generation. Hmm. Six years later, with an awful lot of litigation, they not only lost all of that wealth, but they lost their relationship in the process. So the cousins didn't even get to grow up together. That could have been solved with maybe seven words, sell it when it reaches this price. Right, But mom and dad never sat down and had that conversation with the boys to say, what is the purpose of this wealth? So great wealth does not equal great happiness without a lot of conversation. <laughs> That's the part about messaging that I was, I was getting at before. Right, I, I, start, I start these financial planning conversations with clients who uh, they've gotten to a point where there's enough discretionary income that they can start to look to do things uh, from an investment perspective that they hadn't thought of before. And so that usually involves some sort of real estate. They want to start to build up a real estate portfolio, buy a few properties to have as rentals and so forth and so on. And I stop them right in their tracks and I say, hey, look, you're going to spend five to 10 years and I don't know how much it's going to actually cost you to buy five to 10 properties. And then you're going to have to deal with the headache, even if you don't manage them day to day, you're going to have to deal with the headache of dealing with tenants through your property manager. You now have all these other complexities that you've now introduced into your life. And if you haven't messaged, messaged it to your kids that the whole reason you're doing this in the first place is because you want to be able to transfer this real estate, these real assets to them at some point when you pass away, I guarantee you what's going to happen is the moment you pass, they're going to decide to list them all. They're going to kick all the tenants out and they're going to take the cash and run. And so if you don't do the other step of messaging this to them, how they are supposed to think about these properties that you owned all this time, you're really spending your weekends changing uh, toilets out and all the other kind of things that go along with being a landlord for not. And so you might as well just give them the cash, right? Because that's ultimately what they're going to want to get to anyway. And so I, I say that to say your whole point that is really hitting home for me and having this conversation is the messaging more than anything mm -hmm. else. 
And that messaging can be co-designed. What I mean by that is it can be a conversation. Mom and dad, when they just dictate the terms, that's when things can get dicey. Because especially kids in this generation, they're pretty much going to say, I wanted to impact my kids this way, or I'm not a big fan of a generation skipping trust, because that sounds like entitlement to me. So the conversation is really just that. It's how do we want to co-design how this wealth transitions? What are some of the things that are important to the next generation so they can get behind it? So I said earlier, 60% of the breakdown is trust and communication. 25% of the breakdown is air preparedness, them finding out how they can be a contribution. Why do they get out of bed in the morning? The Mm -hmm. third variable that we discovered was 10%, and that had to do with values and mission. Are we all rowing in the same direction for the use and purpose of this wealth? That last bit, uh, about 5%, is really crazy things like the business is no longer viable or they did get some advice that wasn't appropriate for them or things like that. But for the most part, it's just trust and communication, air preparedness and values and mission. Yeah. The one for me, and I've seen this actually play out where the kids inherit the money, the friend from college who knows a little something about finance because they worked at Goldman Sachs one summer, uh, has an idea that they want them to invest in and they say, okay, well, why wouldn't I? Or, you know, so-and-so's older brother, uh, is the guy we all ask about investments because he was one of the first people in the, the Wall Street bets chat on Reddit before anybody knew it existed. And so we all just know he's the money guy. And eight months later, it's all turned to vapor, right? Because I'm listening right. to the wrong people because I was ill prepared to think about these things that way. And so I, yeah, that, that's one of my biggest fears. But then I, I think to your point about creating, uh, making sure that everybody's rowing in the same boat. One of the things that I think of that I think helps create this successful transfer that everybody can get behind. Uh, when you said something about the generation skipping trust, it made me think about it is the idea of like a, a dynasty 529 plan or a legacy 529 plan, whatever they want to term it, where maybe Gen one is saying, we're going to throw this money into a college savings account and anybody in the family with the last name, blah, 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 gets to use this money to go to college. And so now we're not necessarily hamstringing you by saying there's tons and tons of money out there. You're going to get your hands on someday. We're saying anybody who wants to go to college the cost won't be the reason that you don't go. And you're able to align values around education now and not so much the things that the money can buy, right? As you're talking about this, that's one of the things that that jumps out to me as one of the the, the ideas that I've been kind of floating to to clients as, as of late as I've been thinking more about this. But another thing I often recommend to older clients who have accumulated far more than they'll live to spend, right? So you're talking about folks who are super cash heavy and and don't necessarily need those assets today. I recommend that they start to give some of it away today. And I recommend that for two reasons. One is that they can begin to open up a dialogue with Gen 1 and Gen 2. Uh, I mean, Gen 2 and Gen 3, right? As we're talking about how to manage money like a grown up with lower stakes than receiving it all at once. 
but also for selfish reasons, right? I encourage them to give now while they're here to see the impact, feel the joy that comes along with writing that tuition check to send their grandkid to college and know that they won't have to take out student loans for their education or writing the check to help your adult child purchase a nicer home than they would have been able to on their own or giving it to your favorite charity and getting to see the impact of those dollars while you're here to receive those pats on the back. But people rarely take me up on that. Do you generally see the clients you work with being all that willing to gift inheritances early? You know, the same skills that made the wealth are not necessarily the same skills that give it away. Interesting. A whole different mindset to give it away. Yes, I find what you're saying to be fairly true and pretty regular. There's two things that start to surface in the family conversations that help them shift that perspective. One is that the next generation is yearning to learn how to be responsible with wealth. So the more runway they have in learning how to think about different financial opportunities with their mom and dad is more, is invaluable. It's how they learn to be responsible. So how they learn to think like a millionaire. They learn to think like an entrepreneur. So one reason for the matriarch and patriarch is to give them the gift of knowledge, not just wealth, but learning with them through that process. I think that's probably one of the most important ways that we start to see them shift that thinking. Um, the second one that I find really useful uh, really has to do with how the next generation learns to be wealthy mm-hmm. in a responsible way, not just managing money, but how do I say no to my friends? How mm. do I uh, have a conversation with somebody where maybe I'm saying I didn't get the promotion I wanted to get and that friend says, well, why are you even working? They've got an idea of how to respond to those questions, or they all hop in a Uber and everybody looks at them to pick up the tab. So how did they learn to accept their wealth in a responsible way and be a healthy, wealthy family? That's You you just struck a nerve because one of my own concerns as a parent of a little person who can't even write her name yet, let alone make a big purchase just yet, is how much support is enough support and how much is too much, right? I want to make sure that I set her up for success and help her avoid some of the obstacles that I had to work around as a young adult myself. However, I also wanted to grow up with an appreciation for working hard and seeing the results of your hard work pay off, right? And I know this is something that uh, Eric, my producer, and I talk about uh, in in our, our meetings all the time, but do you have any insight or recommendations for folks who find themselves in a similar situation? Almost all of our clients find themselves there. I remember <laughs> when I first started working, a billionaire client said to me, I can give my kids everything, but mm-hmm. I can't give them desperation. Mm. And it was desperation that fueled his success. What I've seen work really well is even at a very young age, the kids are held accountable for their actions, whether that is... Um, getting a summer job in high school where they're just shoveling snow or doing some chores around could be in the country club, but they have some way of being accountable for their actions. 
Other things that we've seen work really well is when even a young family, for instance, we had a family where there was somebody in grammar school, a daughter, maybe she was around 10 or 11, family went to Africa, they came back, and the daughter said she wanted to start a bake sale to take care of some of the elephants that didn't have a home. That bake sale went on for a good 10 years, and those funds just kept going back over. There again, you can see see that there was an expectation in the family that the next generation was going to be a contribution, whether that was a contribution in their own lives or a contribution to the wealth in a bigger way. But it was who they are being, not what they're doing that made the difference. Doing meaning flying private. Um, these kids all know that they're very wealthy, right? They go on family vacations, they come back tan in the middle of winter and all their friends are still pretty pasty white. Or they've got four or five houses or they get dropped off in a Porsche or a Bentley. So these kids know at a very young age that there's great wealth and they are confused when there isn't a conversation about it, when any, anything close to that conversation is taboo. So the entitlement conversation happens very young and they're watching mom and dad's behavior. They're learning from them on what's acceptable and what isn't. Amy and Malcolm, I'm just going to jump in here because number one, we're low on time, uh, but I've just got to say something first. First things first, Amy, I've already gone to Facebook. I've never done this while while Malcolm's recording with a guest. I've already gone to Facebook, followed your group. I've already gone to LinkedIn, followed your group. I've already gone to LinkedIn and connected with you. Because you. the things you're saying are, I'm very passionate about. Like Malcolm said, he and I have had multiple discussions. And just my two cents is that intimate conversations is the key to success in any relationship. If you are... If you have kids and, and your conversation with them about sex is either A, don't do it, or B, have fun but be protected, you've done them a disservice. They have no idea what a relationship is, right? They, don't, they have no idea what love is. You haven't had a deep conversation. Well, what about the relationship with money? Same thing. If, if you are saying, you know, save, 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 or invest wisely, but not giving them any guidance or not giving them any guidance about money they're going to be inheriting, they will not have a productive relationship with money. And it's just, it's heartbreaking to see that. Malcolm, I've talked about many examples um, where money was just thrown at a problem and the problem was a child. And that child ends up being a bigger problem and, and goes off the rails to the point where now it's just a cleanup stage and hoping, you know, they, they survive, right? And it's, it is so heartbreaking because there's so much possibility there, but because they just didn't have that intimate conversation about what a relationship with money truly looks like, they just lose. Yeah. Absolutely. And usually they're not able to have that intimate conversation because there's a lack of trust mm -hmm. and skill in how to have that conversation. So families don't just inherit wealth, they inherit communication patterns. Our work is to teach families some new skills in how to have those meaningful conversations in powerful ways Absolutely. so that everybody learns how to listen all over again. I was just on a call right before this one with a 35-year-old son, one of four siblings, who can barely stand to be in his parents' home and they live a mile and a half away from each other. That son is concerned that the estate plan is going to continue to control him even when mom and dad are no longer here. 
So our work is to help facilitate a conversation where mom and dad now see the siblings and their their offspring as adults. Mm -hmm. And they co-design how those conversations are going to unfold and how the estate plan is going to impact their lives. But like you said, many of these conversations are never spoken because families aren't sure how to have them. They're missing a skill set. Well, he's also, Eric's also talking to you, Amy, from the perspective of somebody who's got a, a young person who just recently left the nest to, 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 to purchase her own home. Uh, and so I, I'm not too concerned about his concern. Uh, I'm, uh, he's, he's talking from the perspective of having been there and done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, that's the best teacher. No question. Yep. Absolutely. Silence. So I'm just going to ship my, uh, I'm going to ship my little one off uh, up there to Eric's house and let them do it again. Um, that's, that's, that's the plan. Yeah, I got three grandkids now, so she'll fit right in with those three. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, Amy, I certainly appreciate you taking the time to do this with us. My last question for you actually has absolutely nothing about everything that we just finished uh, uh, talking about. So you can take your Williams Group hat off for a second and let your shoulders down a little bit. But let's say for a moment you never made your way to becoming an author or consultant helping families foster healthy dialogue about their finances but money wasn't a factor in your decision-making at all, what do you think you'd be doing right now? I honestly don't know. I think I'd probably work with kids in some capacity. Okay. I would, yeah, I would do that. And, you know, sometimes I I used to work and live in New York, and I envied the women that could go to the Broadway shows and show people their seats. So hmm. maybe I'll just wear purple and work in Broadway and show people to their <laughs> seats. I, I'll become an usher. <laughs> and get to take in all the shows you want for free. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming and doing this, Amy. This was great. Uh, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and or the Williams Group after this goes live? Our website is thewilliamsgroup.org, and really everything you need is right there. We publish a lot, so you can see our recent publications and other podcasts. You know, one of the families we recently worked with said that they bought the book. We have a book called Bridging Generations that I co-authored with our founder, Mm -hmm. Roy Williams. And as a family, they worked through each chapter. So if I could offer a parting way forward for families, it's that they purchase the book and they just find a way to start having these conversations as a family. We'll make sure to put it in the show notes. Great. Yeah. Well, on that note, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and close us out, sir? Absolutely. My pleasure. Amy, again, thank you so much for being on the show. You're an amazing guest. Uh, Malcolm, of course, thank you for bringing her on the show for the listeners and for myself, of course. And to you, listener, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask you to share this podcast and leave a review as it'll help others find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have, and you can do so by emailing them to podcast at techmoney.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, 
to review the show notes or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com.